0: Welcome back to the Musonomics Podcast. I'm Larry Miller. This week on Musonomics.
1: Nobody's quite sure what's going on. The volume, though, of consumption has gone way the hell up, and this creates this whole new problem of big data and huge piles of information that need to be chugged through to make sure they're accurate, and nobody can quite figure out what the heck's going on because technology companies expect the music industry to be technology companies, and they're just not.
0: That was Jeff Price, the founder of TuneCore and CEO of Audium, and someone we'll hear more from later, talking about the opaque way in which the music industry tracks, attributes, and pays out royalties. On this episode of Musonomics, we're looking at an increasingly indefensible lack of transparency in the music industry. But before we go any further, let's define just what we mean when we say transparency. Accurate tracking of how often a song is used, clear reporting of that data to rights holders, and updated copyright law for the digital age. In late July, David Byrne penned a New York Times op-ed about this very issue. He called into question the fact that despite what would seem to be a perfect environment for the entire industry to flourish, higher-than-ever consumption, easily trackable digital data, and the adoption of technology that puts more music in more hands than ever before— We still have an industry where even extremely popular artists like Pharrell can receive paltry royalty checks for songs that streamed thousands or even millions of times. And artists less fortunate than Pharrell can barely make a living. How can it be that despite the overwhelming uptick in consumption, it's harder than ever for musicians to live from their craft? David Byrne tells of his attempts to investigate his own revenue streams for some of the music he's made and owns the rights to. He posed simple questions to YouTube about the sharing of ad revenue and was met with runarounds from executives hiding behind non-disclosure agreements. When we talk about a lack of transparency in the music industry, that's what we're talking about, an inability to find answers to questions that should be simple and straightforward, especially in the digital age. But the record industry doesn't have a great track record with transparency, or fairness, for that matter. Take, for example, the record industry's mistreatment of the jazz singer Billie Holiday, who was reportedly paid a flat fee per side, or per performance, and received no royalty payments nor rights to her own music, or how in the 60s and 70s, It was common practice for some labels to give artists a small advance against royalties and then never send out further statements or royalties. Artists had to audit or sue to get full accountings of the royalties owed them. The industry has truly earned its way to what Q-tip calls Industry Rule Number 4080.
2: Earlier this summer, the
0: Rethink Music Initiative of Berklee College of Music in Boston published a report on transparency and payment flows in the music industry. They found that data provided to artists and songwriters is, at best, opaque. The report looks at what an artist receives as a royalty statement, what's often called an artist summary. In many cases, these quarterly reports are immense, 12 separate PDF files including both royalty statements and artist summary statements that up to 119 pages. That means that an artist must grind through almost 500 pages of statements per year. Not only is the summary unreasonably long, it's delivered as a hard paper copy, meaning the data within, some 2,600 lines of data, would need to be manually keyed into a digital system in order to be analyzed in any meaningful way. It's an arcane system, a relic of a past era of the industry where the marketplace was still largely physical. Here's Jeff Price.
1: In the, in the old days, as we all walked barefoot, naked uphill in both directions, listening to our vinyl records, uh, there were guesstimates as to how many units a record sold. You never really knew. You only knew how many units you shipped, but you never knew what actually sold on a shelf. And you would guesstimate around that, and royalties were generated off of that, and some portion of what shipped out onto a record store shelf would be returned, and there would have to be returns processing. So there was a, it was a very different world around analog based on moving pieces of physical product, warehouses that put things in the boxes, trucks, pallets, pick, pack, and ship, breakage, shrinkage, blah, blah, blah.
0: Simply put, because of the idiosyncrasies of a physical product in a physical market, labels were able to get away with opaque contracts and returns that didn't share valuable statistical information because that information wasn't available.
1: But in the digital world, everything is knowable. You know how many units have downloaded. You know how many times a song has streamed. Computer software is written, and it applies across the board to everybody. There's standardization. So every time a song streams or is downloaded, it generates X amount of dollars or fractions of pennies. So it can all be known and it can all be reported. The impetus is, or rather the barrier to allowing that information to being known, is the people that have created these systems have to want to allow it to be known. But it's there to be known, whereas before it
0: really wasn't. The information at stake here is very valuable, and it extends beyond simple play counts. Technology-forward firms like Cobalt, Audium, and Revelator can tell you where and when your music is played. If an artist's popularity spikes in one market, they can respond in turn with a tour date or a release targeted specifically for that audience. Though information like that is technically available in those quarterly artist summary reports, it's late and buried in those 2,600 lines of data, a layer of complexity obscuring it from easy digestion or actionability. To make things worse, there is high likelihood that the data contained in that quarterly report is wrong or incomplete. One of the things that Jeff Price's company Audium does is help artists get paid. In order to do that, Audium performed an audit to check and see if those 2,600 lines of data were accurate. Perhaps unsurprisingly, they weren't.
1: Here's a concrete example. Victory Records, a fantastic label out of Chicago, controls a publishing catalog called Another Victory. So on behalf of Victory Records and Another Victory clients, we did an audit. And we were able to discover that on the mechanical royalty statements, there were over 3,000 sound recordings that embody victory compositions that had never been paid on. Right? I mean, and that same 85% of the sound recordings were unlicensed and unpaid on applied across all the other clients we work for. We work for Bob Dylan. We work for Metallica. We work for Red Hot Chili Peppers. We work for Roundhill Music Publishing. We work for, I mean, I can go through the litany. It was the same thing happening with everybody. Same time, we're finding 75 to 85% of the sound recordings that a body of these compositions aren't being paid on. And there's a huge amount, 100 million plus pipeline pre-existing revenue that hasn't been paid. Here's another one, Bob Gaudio got one of the songwriters from Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. We unearthed the fact that he had not been paid a single mechanical royalty for the streams of his songs in the United States from Slacker, RDO, Microsoft, Amazon Prime, Google Scan Match, AT&T Move Music since April of 2011.
0: This gets to something the Berkeley Music Report calls the music industry's black box. The royalties that go undistributed Due to the lack of a global database of sound recordings and musical compositions, who owns how much of what, and where to pay them.
1: You're not paying. And there's 100 million plus dollars sitting out there that you haven't paid. You need to fix this system. All we're asking for is accurate, on-time payments with a level of transparency. How would you, Spotify, feel? if each month 15% of your money was not paid to you by the credit card company because they said they couldn't figure out whose it was, would that be acceptable? No. Then why should these songwriters accept it as well? Change the systems, let's work together and improve this economy, and we all win.
0: What a win looks like will vary from artist to artist. Maria Schneider has won multiple Grammys, including the first Grammy-winning recording with internet-only sales. She spurned the traditional label system for a service called ArtistShare, a type of crowdfunding platform for creative artists that places more control in the hands of creators. Her music is not available on any free or freemium streaming platforms.
2: Once you devalue yourself, it's very, very hard to come back and say, oh, but now pay for me, you know. It's, and and this devaluation process has been a very kind of, in, I would say, a well-laid plan, you know, and it, it started with Google. Google, and you, know, you hear people, oh, yeah, I got this many plays on YouTube. Yeah, a big whoop. What did you get from it? So, you know, music creators and artists that, accept are basically collectively devaluing themselves. And the same thing happens to Spotify. And, you know, it's, it's just, I blame, you know, the music creators and artists as much as anything.
0: For Maria Schneider, it doesn't make sense to work with representatives whose interests aren't 100% perfectly aligned with their artists' interests.
2: I think in, in contracts like that, there's sort of a fiduciary duty to represent the financial interests of the artist. And they basically cannibalize their artists for their own financial gain. I find it appalling that people sign up for this and drove through the desperation to be noticed. You know, there are many ways to be noticed and to be found. And I wish that there was a collective mass that would do artist share so that it could have the same the same social power to fuel, you know, artists fueling the fans of other artists. So it, it builds that tribe mentality, but the tribe mentality within a platform that actually benefits the artist, artist ownership, artist sets their own price, artist develops their own fan relationships, everything is transparent. Artist collects all their own data, owns all their own data, and if they walk away, they own their own master's. I mean, it's like, you know, why shouldn't it be
0: that? When Diplo and Skrillex went on Charlie Rose in mid-August, it was clear that they value today's digital distribution system despite its lack of transparency for the power it has to spread their music far and wide
3: and there's kids that only go to soundcloud that will not ever buy an itunes won't even go on spotify and that's how they listen to music and what that does is it eliminates a big asset and is cutting off your music to an audience that will potentially come to your shows and be fans so i almost wish it was just up to the the person that owns the art at the end of the day, you know, like the way they want it to be heard.
0: The new music landscape provides for both of these visions. For Maria Schneider's artist-controlled existence outside of free streaming, and for Diplo and Skrillex's focus on free streaming. But what is required in both instances is better data delivery from royalty reports, a task that is achievable, but from a label perspective, still daunting. Here's Bruno Guez, CEO at Revelator, on the sheer size and complexity of the transparency problem.
3: Let's just start with very basic revenue data. You're collecting sales data from iTunes and from Spotify and from all your distribution channels. And you're having to consolidate all of that together into one digestible, uh, easy to understand uh, label revenue report, which then gets broken down into artist statements. Spotify or a YouTube file might be, you know, a YouTube file might be 20 megabytes. A Spotify uh, file might be 300,000 lines. And then iTunes, you'd get 34 reports each month. And based on how much content you have, you could have, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 lines per report. So you're dealing with, you know, at the minimum 40, 50 reports a month that have hundreds of thousands of lines, which you need to all consolidate in, into logic the artists usually you know if they're using a simple system like a TuneCore, core cd baby all they get is how much money they earn and very limited access to to data uh, but they do get their summary but when you're a label and you're managing many rights owners um, many rights holders and as many as 30 artists sometimes you may have to pay out as many as 50 or 60 statements so on one side you're trying to consolidate all the revenue now, on the other side, you're trying to do your accounting in a way that's automated and streamlined and simple and efficient. And unless you have tools to really make that process efficient, then you're using Excel. And Excel, you're trying to consolidate all the revenue files and then segment by artist and do pivot tables. And then you got to look at your actual contract terms, hard, you know, paper, and see what actually are the terms per territory, per format, per channel. And try to apply it to the Excel uh, summary. So, either you're living in the world of Excel or you need a new system to kind of bring you into the 21st century.
0: But, like Jeff Price said earlier, we expect music companies to be technology companies, and they're just not, which is why companies like Audium, Revelator, and Cobalt will have such a big role in reshaping the music industry around the guidelines put forth by the Berkeley Rethink Music Report, which include the creation of a Creator's Bill of Rights, the creation of a Fair Music Certification of Transparency, an investigation into new payment methods that promote transparency, the creation of a decentralized rights database, and the education of all music creators regarding their rights. The smoke and mirrors of the music industry bear a few similarities to a Tom Waits song called, What's He Building In There? What's he building in there? What the hell is he building in there? It's a creepy excursion into the mind of the artist as he imagines what his neighbor is building behind a closed door. There are ominous noises. Pops, clicks, bangs, buzzes, and saws. But because we can't see inside the door, we can only guess what awful contraption is being built inside. It's the same thing with the lack of transparency in the music industry. Because of an antiquated layer of complexity, nondisclosure agreements, and confusion by volume, artists and rights holders are left guessing at what kind of Leviathan is being constructed behind closed doors.
1: I mean, to me, if you're hiding something, if you're not allowed to disclose something, it's either because you don't know what you're talking about or you're hiding something, and neither one is good. There should be nothing wrong with being transparent.
0: Even the U.S. Copyright Office agrees that something's got to give. Earlier this year, the Copyright Office released a 245-page document outlining all the ways the copyright law around music and sound recordings needs to be updated. That document contains advisements to level the playing field between sound recordings and musical compositions, close unjustifiable loopholes, give owners of sound recordings a right to collect royalties from radio, just like in the rest of the civilized world. And perhaps most importantly, the Copyright Office advocated for the creation of a global digital rights database. When even the Copyright Office calls for immediate and sweeping reform, something is truly wrong we are living through a transparency moment when it comes to music data about what people are listening to and how much artists and songwriters should be paid let's not waste the opportunity by ignoring the voices of music creators without whom there wouldn't be a music industry or a podcast to cover it that's all the time we have for this episode of musonomics Thanks to our guests, Jeff Price, Bruno Guez, and Maria Schneider. The Musonomics Podcast is a production of Musonomics, LLC. Strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. The Musonomics Podcast was produced at NYU by Sam Behrens and Travis Fodor. Thanks to Ron Sadoff and Catherine Moore. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. Thanks for listening.